Well, good morning, everyone, and uh, welcome for all of you that are joining us online. And just, uh, it's always good to be in the house of the Lord. And I'm just so thankful this morning that we can just gather in His name and we can uh, come together and worship Him. And uh, beautiful songs, wonderful counselor, Prince of Peace. I love this time of season. It's very, very special. Um, uh, Kathy and I happened to grow up in homes where our, our mothers were just crazy uh, about Christmas, and it was a it was a really fun time, and it was an, a neat time. And so, we also grew up in homes where uh, they loved they loved God, and so uh, they were very um, purposeful, if you will, about being able to share the love of Christ and be able to share about Jesus and be able to share the reason for it all. And so, it was it was a neat time. And so, this particular Time of year and season is, is very special uh, for all of us, and uh, I trust that it'll be in your home as well. Great matter that we're speaking about these days called hope, and certainly if there was a word around that we need a little bit right now, it would be this one. And so I'm glad that uh, Pastor Peter was able to kind of uh, gather us together and say, hey, for the next three or four weeks, we're going to center our thoughts around this word hope. And this morning, we're going to center around the word hope when it comes to the promises of God being fulfilled. And uh, this is just a, a neat uh, time of study in the book of Zechariah chapter 9. A couple things just before I get there. One is, just wanted to say uh, thank you uh, for a great Sunday last Sunday. Um, several years ago, when I first came to Calvary, I, I watched the people of God here bring just just hundreds and hundreds of bags of food and turkeys and and gift cards and uh, Operation Christmas Child boxes and, and it would just line the stage and they'd have to put up risers here and it would just fill the whole front of the church and then you prayed over it and, and gave it out. And that, that was a very powerful thing for me. And I, I thought, wow, people of God doing something really special for their community. And of course this year we were only able to do it in a drive-through fashion. Uh, but thank you. Thank you for giving. Uh, thank you for serving. Um, we had a lot of volunteers. Uh, I want to say a public thank you to all of you who participated and helped uh, pull the drive-through thing together. We did have many, many, again, bags of food and, and turkeys and Operation Christmas Child and all of that kind of came together in this past week. And so we were able to celebrate uh, giving and celebrate serving our community. Um, and, and so a thank you is, is really to you a commendable thing for the family of God to do this. We want to do it all the time, but it was special to do it during this Thanksgiving season when people really needed it. And so we just appreciate all that. Uh, the second thing would be about <clears throat> being able to see the road ahead, if you will, these next several weeks. We're going to be talking again on this subject of hope, and so we're looking forward to that. Let me just uh, open in a word of prayer, and then we're going to pour into Zechariah chapter 9. Now, if you can look at Zechariah, if you have a Bible, if you have one of your little devices, Zechariah is one of those little books in the end of the Old Testament uh, that, that you'll find there. So let's just pray together. Lord, thank you for this wonderful opportunity to come together and to worship you. Lord, you are wonderful counselor, prince of peace, everlasting father. And we're grateful this morning that we can just worship you in this spirit. Lord, as we look into the word of God, we find ourselves there. We see ourselves pictured <clears throat> in these pages because it is your truth that you are trying to impart to us. 
And Lord, I pray that you might help us to appropriate it. I pray that you might help us to understand it. I pray that the illuminating power of the Spirit of God would give us uh, just great wisdom and understanding of this word. And help us, Lord, to make it practical for our lives. Not just something that's filled with pages and words, but something that is deep truth within us. And this is how we live by it. Lord, I thank you for our church. I thank you for all the ones that participated and who gave and who served. Lord, I pray that those gifts might be something much more than that. I pray, dear Father, that those would reach out to people in need. And Lord, I pray that they would find their way to you. I pray that these acts of kindness and love would point them to the person of Jesus Christ. And I pray that their lives would be changed as a result. So, Lord, we continue to commit those things to you. Then, Lord, again, as we look into this great book of of Zechariah, help us to to grasp these great promises that are being fulfilled even today. And we'll thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. So this morning, as we look at this uh, Christmas season, and uh, I, I, once again, somehow, for some reason, in this Christmas season, I don't, I don't know why, but for some reason, I get this, um, Psalms chapter 8 is one of my kind of favorite psalms, and it's the psalm that says, what, you know, when I consider the moon, the stars, you know, the heavens, the universe, you know, the vastness of, of it all, there's a little phrase in there that says, what is man? <laughs> What, what is man that thou art mindful of him? And thou hast made him a little lower than the angels, and you have crowned him with glory and honor. And I want you to understand that that's the picture that our God has. That's the picture of you and me. He has crowned his creation with glory and honor. It's not just he that we bring praise and we bring honor and we bring glory, but God looks to us and says, when I consider all that there is, the psalmist says, what is man? And I look at them and I say, well, that's a little overwhelming. It is certainly for me every day overwhelming that the God of the universe would send his son to die in my stead, to die in my place, that I would have my sins forgiven, and that I would have a home in heaven. And it's, it's, it's wild for me. It's something that is very, very, something I think about every day. But this morning, what I want to do is I want to take a look at this book of Zechariah, and we want to look at what we call the promises fulfilled. So I want to start with this biblical premise. God is a God of promises. If he's anything, he is a God of promises. And there are thousands of these promises in the Word of God, thousands. Now, some of the promises have to do with, you know, maybe the land, the sea, creation, or whatever. He told Noah in Genesis chapter 9 that he would never again destroy the world with a worldwide flood. Now, it doesn't say exactly those words, but that's, that was the implication. And he gave Noah a beautiful rainbow to look at and say, I will never again destroy the earth that way. But the reality is the promises of God, which are, again are thousands, are mostly, if not 90 to 95% of them, towards you and I. <laughs> it's towards mankind. This is what the promises are. The promise given to Abraham in Genesis chapter 12 says, I will make of you a great nation. I will make your name great. The promise he gave to Joshua in Joshua chapter 1, he said, No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. And just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. 
I will never leave you nor forsake you. What a great promise. I mean, we, we need to lay hold of that particular type of promise. The, this is the bedrock, if you will. This is the foundation of our faith. It really is. We build our house of faith, if you will, on the bedrock and the foundation of God's promises. Promises like this, that I will never leave you. There's nowhere that you will go. There's no place that you can go. There is nothing that you can get into. There's, there's, I, I will never forsake you. And King Solomon said, Blessed be the Lord who has given rest to the people Israel according to all that he has promised. Not one word has failed of all he has promised. One of the greatest men, one of the wisest in the earth said, not one has failed. See, God is a God of promise, and he is backing that by his character. God can never deceive. God cannot lie. And so when he promises, it will be fulfilled. That you can guarantee. He's backing it by his very character. And so once again, we have to think of this. I want you to consider it as this is the foundation. My, my wife and I, while well, we were in, up in the Adirondacks of New York with Word of Life, we wanted to build a home in the Adirondacks. And uh, if you ever lived in the Adirondacks or been to the Adirondacks, it's cold six months of the year. And when I say cold, it snows. And when it snows, it's already snowed up there. When it snows, it doesn't like go away like it does here in Connecticut. Okay, it just stays. And then what happens is the next snow piles on top of that, which piles on top of that, which you get the idea. Okay, I mean, there's a lot of snow. And it's cold, and it's all winter long. And so I went to this contractor friend of mine who built several homes in the Adirondacks, and he said to me, here's the key to building a home in the Adirondacks. You're going to spend, and you have to spend, more money in the foundation than about anything else. And a couple of reasons for that. First, I mean, you want to keep the place relatively warm. It's cold. So you want to keep it warm. You've got to build a thick, deep foundation. And in that, they built this beautiful system that had some sort of styrofoam on either side of it, and they poured the cement in the middle, and we heated that home in the Adirondacks for like $100 a month. It was beautiful warm, but he also wanted to make sure that it was firm, because why? You're going to build the roof up. When you build the roof up, the snow comes on the roof. It doesn't go away. It just gets more and more and more, and it's heavy. So the foundation was really the most important part of the house. Friends, the promises of God is our foundation. We build everything upon it. And so these promises that the children of Israel are hearing through this man, Zechariah, are incredibly important to them. But they are incredibly important to us today because we need these promises. And the culmination of these covenant promises was that one day that there would be a redeemer who would come. Now, this wasn't the first time that we talked about this, and we'll read this passage, and we'll study through it a little bit, and you'll see what I'm talking about. But it wasn't the first time they'd heard that. 200 years before this, Isaiah had talked about it as, as well. The words that we get, wonderful, counsel of principles, Isaiah spoke to the children of Israel about the coming Messiah, about this Redeemer who had come. And we'll give you the timing of that, but that's the culmination of it. The fact that the only hope that for mankind is found in the promise of a Redeemer. We would not have hope today. 
We would not have so great salvation. We would not have eternal life. We would not have our sins forgiven. We would have nothing and would be nothing. As a matter of fact, John tells us in 1 John that he that hath the Son hath life. He that hath not the Son of God hath not life. Now, that sounds King Jamesy, but the fact of the matter is, and I've spoken about it a ton, I said, you have life because of the Lord Jesus Christ bringing redemption. Otherwise, you don't have life. I don't know what you got, but you don't have life. And so that's the importance here of this great promise. And so for the believer, the hope of eternal life, it's rooted in this particular promise. Psalms chapter 119, 114 says, You are my hiding place, my shield. I hope in your word. Jeremiah 29, 11, which you, you, a lot of you know, for I know the thoughts that I think towards you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. You see, as we look into this book of Zechariah this morning, we are going to see this great promise as he speaks to them to give them a hope. We're going to do three things this morning. We're going to look at this book of Zechariah. We're going to talk about the timing of the prophecy. We're going to look at the intent of the prophecy. Then we're going to look at the big picture of why the prophecy. So we're going to look at the timing, we'll look at the intent, and we're going to look at the why of the promise. Now let me quick read the passage. It'll be on the screen. Follow along with me. It's, it's the following. Here's Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9, beginning in verse 9. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem, behold, your king is coming to you. He is just and having salvation, lowly and riding on a donkey, a colt, the foal of a donkey. I will cut off the chariot from Ephraim and the horse from Jerusalem. The battle bow shall be cut off. He shall speak peace to the nations. His dominion shall be from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. As for you also, because of the blood of your covenant, verse 11, I will set your prisoners free from the waterless pit. Return to the stronghold, you prisoners of hope. Even today I declare that I will restore double to you. For I have bent Judah my bow, fitted the bow with Ephraim, and raised up your sons, O Zion, against your sons, O Greece, and made you like the sword of a mighty man. Then verse 14, then the Lord will be seen over them. Remember that phrase, the Lord will be seen over them and his arrow will go forth like lightning and the Lord God will blow the trumpet and go with whirlwinds from the south. The Lord of hosts will defend them. They shall devour and subdue with sling stones. They shall drink and roar as, it, as in wine. And they shall be filled with blood like basins, like the corners of the altar. Then this great truth, the Lord their God will save them in that day as the flock of his people. For they shall be like the jewels of a crown and like the banner over his land. For how great is its goodness and how great its beauty. Grain shall make the young men thrive, and new wine the young women. 
Here's the, here's the truth here. Here's the timing of this prophecy. Now, there were two, uh, there were two great bondages, or there were two great captivities during the land of, of Israel and the children of Israel. You remember? The first one was with Moses. You remember that one? You all got that one? Everybody shake your head, Moses. Remember Moses? I'm sure you do. And then in the time of the Egyptians, basically, Moses freed the people from the bondage of Egypt. I think probably most, everybody knows probably that story. But the second great captivity is this one that we're talking about this morning. The second great captivity was in 586 BC when King Nebuchadnezzar came from Babylon to Judah or to Jerusalem. They destroyed the temple. They destroyed basically the city walls. They captured the people of Israel, the two tribes that were there in Judah, and they took them to Babylon for about seven years. When I say took them, you got to kind of picture in your mind where this, this is. Jerusalem is near the Mediterranean. Babylon is like, you know, like 1,000 to 1,500 miles into the desert. You got it? We're talking Iraq and Iran. Y'all with me? Okay, good. So what's happening is the following. Zechariah was born in captivity. He was born during the time of the Babylonian captivity. The time of this particular prophecy is when the people of Israel were allowed to go back after 70 years of captivity under King Darius and come back to Jerusalem. When they arrived back in Jerusalem, and you can read this in the book of Nehemiah and the book of Ezra, when they came back, it says that the city walls were destroyed. The gates were burned with fire, the temple was destroyed, and they were in complete and utter disarray. It was an ugly, bad, difficult scene. Some of them, I'm sure, came back to homesteads that were completely destroyed. And so now these people come back, and this is the time when Zechariah is going to talk to them and going to tell them about this prophecy of the Redeemer and of the coming Messiah and the promises one day would be fulfilled. That's his timing. And the first thing he says, look at, the, look at the verses we read right at the very beginning. He says, rejoice. He says, rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. You know, you know when it says rejoice greatly? That, that term makes, basically means he wants to dance with force. Yeah, dance with force. So you have this image of an individual, Zechariah, who'd never even been to Jerusalem, probably. This is his first, this is his first time back. He, he was born in captivity. And he comes back, and the Spirit of God lays on his heart this prophecy that he's going to tell him. The first thing he says to these people in Zechariah chapter 9, says, Rejoice greatly! Dance! Why? Because I want to give you a hope. I want to provide for you an understanding of what's going to happen. And that was his purpose. So as we look at this timing, that was what they, they were encountering at the moment. I look at that picture and I say, wow, these are tough days that we're living in right now. Similar to these guys, their city was vulnerable. I, I, I feel somewhat vulnerable. We're trying to travel around a little bit or not travel or not go out of our houses or not go out to eat. I can't even go to the Merritt Canteen and eat inside and have my hot dog. I mean, what has happened to the earth? If I can't go to the Merritt Canteen, now I know you, you people in Trumbull don't go to Merritt Canteen. Guys like me only go to the Merritt Canteen. But look, we're in vulnerable days. 
we really don't know the future. We don't know what the landscape is going to look like. We're trying to navigate this pandemic. And we're looking at this picture and we're saying, what, what's the future? What's this thing look like? We're in disarray. We're, we're in a time of divisiveness politically. What, what is this world going to look Where are we? And we, live, we can live in this fear, we can live in this vulnerability, we can live in this chaos, we can live in this particular moment, and these people were in complete chaos. But he comes to them and says, rejoice greatly. <laughs> Dance. Why? Well, I want to share three things. The, first, the second part of this is I want to share with you uh, what the intent of the prophecy is. The timing of the prophecy is that one. Here's the intent. Intent number one, bring hope of encouragement. That's what he wanted to do. In this rejoice greatly, he wants to bring this encouragement. He wants to encourage his people. His people are in disarray, and he wants to build them up. He wants to pick them up, and he wants to provide for them some hope and some understanding of what God is doing, even in the midst of this chaos. And so there's a great hope here. And so in that, it says to him that uh, he will speak peace to the nations. His dominion will be from sea to sea. That's what he tells the people. He says, don't worry. He says, one day the king is coming. Now, there's two great prophecies in this particular passage of Scripture. There's two of them. One is the fact that there will be a redeemer, and we'll be talking about that in a moment. But, the first, but he talks about this king that is going to come. This is, there's, there's two, the two prophecies are this. One, that the Redeemer Jesus will come, and it says right there on a foal of a donkey, and Matthew and other Gospels say exactly how he came. He came into Jerusalem in the triumphal entry and came on the foal of a donkey. That's how Jesus came. He came as a humble king. He didn't come in the other style of king that those people knew very, very well. Those people who had just come out of captivity were with a guy by the name of Nebuchadnezzar who, wanted to build, who built a, a, an image so grand that he wanted everybody to bow down to it. They understood what kind of kings were like that, tyrants and dictators and awful individuals. But this, the king, Jesus, is going to come on a foal of a donkey in a humble way. The second prophecy that he gives in this passage is the fact that he will come a second time. And the second coming, he's going to come as a king from sea to sea. This is the eternal kingdom that we speak of. So there's one that we've already had and it's been fulfilled in that Jesus came, and we'll talk about that in a second, Jesus came to fulfill that promise of a redeemer. The second one is yet to be fulfilled, and that is that the king will come and he will reign on the earth from sea to sea. We're waiting for that day. Hope it's soon. But that's what the prophecy is all about. So first it was to bring the hope of, of salvation, the ultimate redeemer. Notice verse 11. Verse 11 says the following, as for you also because of the blood of your covenant, I will set your prisoners free from the waterless pit because of the blood of your covenant. First, 
Zechariah gives them this hope of encouragement that the king is coming. Secondly, in this he says, I want to bring you the hope of salvation. And this salvation is when Jesus is going to come and shed his blood. Now, friends, they understood the blood covenant very, very well. These people, again, 70 years of captivity, they come back to Jerusalem, they're setting up their houses, they're rebuilding the walls, they're resetting the gates, they're going to their homesteads, but Ezra, if you read the book of Ezra, Ezra was tasked, basically, to reestablish the worship of the people. And the worship of the people was always having to do with sacrifices and feasts. And so they understood very well what Zechariah meant when he said, we're going to have this blood covenant. There will be a one who will come, the Messiah that will come. And through his blood being shed for you and I, we will, have our, we will be set free. And that's what has been already been fulfilled. And that's the time and the season that we celebrate right now. The coming of the Lord Jesus to free us from the condemnation of sin. And I don't know about you, but I look at that promise that he talked about that has been absolutely fulfilled, and that has changed my life. It's changed yours. If you know Christ as your Savior, if you've asked for your sins to be forgiven and asked Jesus to come into your life and to save you, you've had your sins forgiven, Christ has given you freedom from the condemnation of sin. And that's exactly what the promises of salvation were all about that Zechariah poured into these people. So not only did they have a hope of encouragement, they had the hope of salvation. Then third, they had the hope of peace. Look at verse 14. In verse 14, he says the following, then the Lord will be seen over them. The Lord will be seen over them. Love that phrase. And his arrow will go forth like lightning. The, God, the Lord God will blow the trumpet and go with the whirlwinds from the south. Then verse 15 says, the Lord of hosts will defend them. The Lord of hosts will defend them. So two things he says to them about this hope of peace. He says, one, look, he will be seen. This will be, this will be a king that will come in the second coming, and he will be seen over all the earth from sea to sea. This is the book of Revelation. The book of Revelation says that the Lord will come, the trumpet will blow, and he will come with his armies, and he will be rule and reign on the earth for a thousand years. Read the book of Revelation. Now, look, the, the incredible thing about this is, how do you and I picture that? Believe me, it's, it's way beyond our puny little minds of what that actually looks like. What, what, what is that? It, the Bible tells us that there will be a new heaven and a new earth one day. A new just so in the book of Revelation, if I, don't, if I don't believe it, I might as well toss the whole thing out. I have to believe that my belief system, my foundation, my promises, I'm building my promises. You got it? I got my foundation. Here's my promises. The promise of God says that there will be a new heaven and a new earth. I'm going to believe it. Otherwise, I throw my whole belief system out. And so God will rule and reign on the earth. What will that look like? I don't know. I, I have no idea. I hope I get a horse farm, because in another life, I'd like to have horses. I, I, I really do, but I don't know. I only know that this is the truth, 
that he wanted to impart and give the promises to these people. The one promise was fulfilled 600 years after he shared it. 600 years after Zechariah spoke to these people about a redeemer who would come on the foal of a donkey. He has come. He saved the world from their sin. The second, the second promise we're still waiting for. But that's the hope that he gives. And the hope he gives here is of peace. He will be seen. And secondly, he will defend them. Wow, I am so glad that I have a God that's going to defend me. I really do. He's got my back. He's going to defend me. He is going to defend his people. Because the reason is, look, God always wanted a people of his own. That's the whole point of the scriptures, is that he wanted a people of his own. This is the, we are a royal, we are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood. We are special. You're a special people. Pastor Peter speaks about that all the time. You're not just a nobody. You're special. You are part of these people, and he wants to bring you peace. Well, lastly, and then we, not, we saw the... We saw a, a great hope in terms of encouragement. We saw the hope of salvation. We saw the hope of peace. That's kind of the intent of this prophecy. But lastly, as we, as we begin to close, I, I want to share with you the why of the prophecy. The why. Many people ask me over the course of ministry years and in teaching and sharing the word of God, can you give me the big picture? I just need to... Some people are bottom line thinkers. I... I, I I've met many of you in this, this room. We know each other now. We've been spending a little time together. Some of you in this room, you just give me the bottom line. I just want to know the big why. Well, friends, here's the big why. Zechariah wants to share with these people. And in sharing with these people, he shares with the people of God the big picture. The why of this prophecy even to start with. And I believe those, those are found, if you look in verse 16, it says the following, the Lord their God will save them in that day as the flock of his people. He will save them in that day as the flock of his people. He also says they shall be like jewels of a crown lifted like a banner over his land. Lifted like a banner over his land. Friends, get this picture. This picture is the promise of God to all of us who know and love him as Christ our Lord. His why, his reason, his purpose is that one day he would save them he would be their God and we would be his people and that he would bring us in part of his land as a banner. He will be over us and we will be a part of him and his land. And he will save us just as his flock because we are the flock of his people. That's the promise. We are part of God. We are God. God ourselves in the sense that the Holy Spirit of God lives within us. We're not God, but he is God and the Holy Spirit who lives within us is a part of us. And he's going to come one day and he's going to save his people. That's the big why. 
We've been saved from our sins. We've had, we've had the opportunity to ask Christ to forgive us of our sins and from the condemnation of sin. But even in a greater sense, there will be a day that he'll rule and reign and that we will be with him. And that's the great promise of God. The second promise is found in the same context. He says, we will be like a jewel of a crown, lifted like a banner, for how great is its goodness and how great its beauty. And the concept here is that he will be king forever. He will be king forever and ever. And so the concept is not just a hope for today like he wanted to share with these people about the hope that they needed, that hope of encouragement, that hope of peace in that day, that they, they, they saw their, their city, they saw their place, they saw Jerusalem destroyed, and he gave them that kind of hope, and he told them about the Redeemer who would come. But even greater and larger than that of the why would be that we have an eternal hope. We have an eternal hope. And that eternal hope is that one day all things will be under God. All things will be with the king forever. And we will be with him forever and ever. And that eternal hope is a promise of God yet to be fulfilled. But I can't wait for that day. What does it look like? Don't know. But I do know this. He is going to be king and we have an eternal hope. Wow, what a promise. Not just something that's today, but forever. And that particular hope is what we look for. And in that day, Zechariah looked at those people and said, this is gonna be the promise of God. The promises that are being, have been fulfilled in their lifetime. They saw what God did. They saw the Abrahamic covenant being fulfilled. They saw that they were in the land. They didn't get to see 600 years later that the Redeemer came. Just as today, how many years before he will be king forever? I don't know. When is that day coming? I don't know. It'll, it'll come as a thief in the night. That's what it says. We won't know. What we do know is that that eternal hope is what we thrive on. That's our that's the why. That's, that's eternal for us. That's God himself that will rule and reign, and we will be with him. What a great promise. What, praise God that he has given us these things. Today, not sure exactly what's all going to transpire, but live in that hope. Live with those promises. Rejoice greatly that all of those promises, as Solomon has said, they will all be fulfilled. Not one will fail. Have that eternal hope. Let's pray. Lord, what a joy for us to know of this eternal hope. What a joy for us to see so great salvation. Help us, Lord, to live with this hope. Help us to rejoice greatly. Even in the midst of the challenges and the trials that we see and the vulnerability and some of the fears and some of the things today that surround us, help us, Lord, to just be at peace because of the eternal hope that we have. Thank you, Lord, that you fulfill every single one of your promises. None will fail.
Help us to rest in those things. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Promises are being fulfilled, and they're actually being fulfilled in us as we live. The goodness of God is part of us in our lifetime. It's in us. Rejoice in that.